0: welcome to another episode of the pedestrian podcast the seahawks did a win against what apparently was an nfl team on sunday night and myself and adam are back how are we sir
1: Buongiorno, buonasera, stuazzo, stuarne corto, molto bene, molto bene.
0: <laughs> yep, uh, yeah, that's been that like, kind of week for Adam. And uh, joining us this, this week is one of our regulars. Uh, always fun to have him on. Welcome back to the Pet Pod, Rob Staten. How are we, sir?
2: Very good, thanks. And loving Adam's Italian. And uh, it's great to, see, to hear him in such good spirits. Mm. It's
1: only taken three years. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, so this will go for the Jags with what was whatever that game was on Sunday, just kind of again like we did with Jackson, and like we seem to be doing quite a lot with the Seahawks in twenty twenty one. Just take a take a step back at the bye week and have a look at where everything stands and what kind of footing it's standing on. But Sunday, Adam was, I mean, that is one of the no, it is the worst coached NFL team I think I've ever watched. The Jags.
1: I was actually working on a wedding all day and evening and it's just sounded like such a mismatch of a stupid game that I didn't even go back and watch it because I thought there'd be plenty to talk about outside of the game but it does feel like another week of Seahawk football where the game has almost punctuated the stuff that everyone wants to talk about mm. and like the games that the games this year are almost like a sideshow to uh to the storyline um and you know, every game sort of adds to a narrative one way or another or takes away in another manner. But it was one of those games that almost like the 49ers game before the Rams game, it was sort of one of those, just get through it and then we'll move on to the real game to to, to try and glean something. But it doesn't sound like an awful lot has been learnt from Sunday's uh, mismatch.
0: No, I mean, I said last week on the pod that I couldn't face losing to Urban Meyer and then about... Four and a half minutes in on Sunday, realised I didn't really have anything to worry about, Rob.
2: No, which would be surprising, really, because in the London game against Miami, they showed a bit of life, and they had been showing some gradual improvement. And I think that there was a fear that Trevor Lawrence, because he's Trevor Lawrence, he's obviously a very talented young quarterback, could come in, could maybe have some success against this Seahawks' defence, but he wasn't patient enough. He was rather too keen to, to move around and, and try and force things a little bit. He, he looked decidedly average in that game and they never had a chance, did they? I've got to say, it's probably the most bored I've been watching the Seahawks since yeah. 2009, that game. It was it was so bad. I mean, usually, because obviously we watch on Game Pass, don't we, when it's not on Sky TV over here. And I, what I would do is I would have it on Game Pass on my laptop and we'll put it on the full screen mode and wouldn't be looking at Twitter because the Game Pass is about, what, a minute behind, isn't it, On in, in real life? So... If you go on Twitter, it gets spoilt and I would be just glued to my screen. I didn't even have the game on my laptop for this game. I actually had it on my phone so I could muck about on football manager instead and sort of just keep half an ear on the um, on what was happening in the game and occasionally turn, up, turn over to look at it. And it, it was quite fun, I suppose, to watch the Seahawks, you know, march to a 24-0 lead. But that second half was unwatchable. Just just nothing was happening. The Seahawks couldn't move the ball. The Jaguars couldn't move the ball. They'd have done everybody a favour if they just said at half-time. You know, like you do at school. I remember playing in a school rugby game when I was about 12 and we were 30, 40 points down at half-time and and one of the teachers just went, that's enough, right? Winning team, (laughs) get in the the change rooms, losing team, you're going to go and do some laps and practice some tackling for, for half an hour before you go home. And it kind of feels like that's what they should have done. They should have let the Seahawks go and get changed and, and go and have an early bath. And they should have had the Jaguars out there doing laps of Lumen Field for their pathetic performance. It was it was turgid. And sort of to hear afterwards the whole we're moving in the right direction, we're doing this, we're doing that, just felt like groundhog day to last year when they were saying how great the defense was because they were beating up guys like CJ Bettard and Dwayne Haskins and Colt McCoy and whatever the Jets were when they were winless and and come into Seattle, to me, I didn't see anything to get excited about. And the only exciting thing about the Seahawks this week was seeing this horrendous-looking pin that had been in Wilson's thumb or finger, whatever it was, for the last, what, two, three weeks, removed, and to see him holding a football again. Because without him, the Seahawks are absolutely boring. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, Lawrence weren't great, but I don't think, after James Robinson, when I injured I don't think I've ever seen a bigger gap between the most, well, maybe I do every week, but the most clearly talented player on the team and everybody else, because Lawrence was a lone wolf out there, really, weren't he? Because everything else was desperate. I mean, defensively, they had back-to-back 12 men on the field, Urban Meyer with the Hello Darkness old friend, kind of thing, been a meme thing as well. It was just, yeah, it was turgid and the second half seemed to last longer than the rest of my Sunday. Uh, but yeah, and then like you said, Rob, all the stuff after is kind of like, everything is rosy and cloud uh, the clouds are clearing, but it's not that isn't the case, is it? I mean, there is a whistle Wilson cloud clearing as you say, but everything else is still kind of dank and
2: dreary. Well, look, let, let's be really honest about this. This is where the Seahawks are at. And you, you've got this situation now off the back of this win whereby the people who, you know, I, I don't, there's not a nice way, of put, it's going to sound horrible, this, but it is the only way to put it, sort of the Carroll apologists are now willing to sort of come out with, a, you know, Pete Carroll's had Seattle in the playoffs X amount of years and that we've been here before and I'll always be a fan, whatever happens and stuff like this. You know, the true fan well done, you. nature of the, you know, uh, I'll be a fan through thick and thin, and if you don't agree with me, then you've only been following the team since 2012. That kind of thing has kind of of lurched forward again since this Jaguars game. Here's the reality of where this, this team is. You have a franchise quarterback who is the reason why they have been qualifying for the playoffs year after year after year, who is considering his future with the team. And we saw all of that drama this year. And the only way that drama wasn't going to continue into the next offseason was if the Seahawks took a major step forward and contended for the NFC Championship game. As we sit here today, it will take a miraculous run of results, even for the Russell Wilson led Seahawks to even make the playoffs. If they get there, it will most likely be as the seventh seed, which would mean having to go to Lambeau Field, perhaps, or to Tampa Bay or to the LA Rams in the first round of the playoffs. Does anybody expect the Seahawks to win that game? When this season ends, you are going to have the sequel of the Russell Wilson saga that we saw this year, which is him going to be pushing to leave this team or to initiate major change. You will have to have either Pete Carroll resigning and then the Seahawks going in a complete move behind their quarterback to to do whatever he wants to keep him on board, or we're going to run a serious risk of losing Russell Wilson and seeing the kind of football we've been watching for the last three weeks for 17 weeks next season. I don't find any... I can't be positive about that. And I'm, I'm worried about what the future holds. And I don't want to watch bad quarterbacks leading average rosters and playing a, a, a brand of football that is is not in, in tune with... Sort of the way that the NFL is shifting, and there's very little excitement around the Seahawks right now. And I'm concerned about what ownership are going to do and how they're going to handle this, and what the post-Carroll Seahawks look like, and what is the future for Russell Wilson on this team. These are the things that we should all be concerned about as fans. Doesn't mean if the people out there don't want to be concerned by that, that's fine. But don't tell those of us who are concerned that we're not real fans for worrying about very real issues.
0: Yeah, and also stop dredging up past generations because this generation is a completely different context because of the quarterback, Adam.
1: Yeah, I mean, I said on the show last week with Jackson, I wouldn't trade Russell Wilson for six first round picks now because yeah, I think I contextually framed it and it's quite good to have three English people on that watch every game till 5.30 at night. I'm not going to watch a team led by Teddy Bridgewater play at five o'clock in the morning. Like the only, it has to be mentally stimulating and exciting and fun. And the reason that we all stay up till five in the morning and that we tweet out at 1.30 in the morning, oh my God, we're so dumb. We're staying up for another another three hours is the, is the chance that it could be really exciting and fun. And, you know, if any, without getting way too existential here, you know, everyone's been through a pretty shit couple of years and uh, it's nice to have nice, fun things to look forward to in life. And sports are one of those great things that we cling to as fans. And it's really depressing, disappointing—whatever word you want to use for it. When, when you know, this team has been so much fun for nine years, and it is fucking. Dull as dishwater every game this year. Let's be honest. Yeah. I mean, I mean, my spot- not, I've, I've not, I've barely even clenched a fist at a touchdown because I've just been like sat there, like watching. And I don't know, like, I've, I don't know if the Rams game in the playoffs like has, has really bitten me so badly that I can't get over it, which, which I think is the truth. But I'm just really bored. And the last thing I want to do is compound that by getting rid of the one thing that could make it really exciting.
0: Yeah. I mean, my supporting weekend was that game against the Jags, so the 1 0 win at Hawks. Um so and that was a good weekend as well.
2: I will not hear it. You, you know, Coventry are fourth in the championship right now. It is it is good to be a, a sky blues fan. Um, <laughs> and Adam Adam's got his his got a great manager at Spurs. You two cannot complain about what is happening <laughs> in, in the world of English football right now. But I, I think that the, the big thing is is that we cannot I'm sure that you two will agree that Pete Carroll is a Seahawks legend. Yes. What a fantastic coach. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. We we all love Pete Carroll. That if you're a Seahawks fan who doesn't love Pete Carroll then, you know, give it a rest. He's he's delivered a Super Bowl to this team. He is people love don't they to say it wasn't Carroll and Schneider, it was Scott McLuhan. and it was only cuz Carroll was at USC for so many mm-hmm. years. He knew who to draft cuz if he's been recruiting. BS, okay? They did a great job drafting and signing players and trading for people like Marshawn Lynch. And they built one of the best rosters in the NFL history. They hammered um, a legendary Broncos team in the Super Bowl. If that Broncos team had won that Super Bowl, they'd have been talking about one of the best teams in, in NFL history. As it is, the Seahawks are one of the best NFL teams in history that won that Super Bowl. And they came that close to winning a second one. So nobody can ever diminish what Carroll has done. But after, t- after what, 11, 12 years, you... Coaches have a shelf life. I'm afraid Carroll has come to his. And it's not worth losing Russell Wilson to persevere with a coach and a GM that drafted Rashad Penny in the first round, drafted LJ Collier in the first round, traded down and drafted Marquise Blair, spent an f- absolute fortune in picks and money on Jamal Adams, has not fixed the pass rush, despite the fact in 2019 they were saying they were desperate to, have left gaping holes at cornerback have not addressed the centre position properly, and they've done it on multiple occasions during the last 12 years, That they've left that position wide open. They have done as much as anybody to prevent this team from getting back to the Super Bowl. It's just time for somebody else to have a go. And, I, you know, with respect to people, there are people out there, I've had some of them on my podcast, who say in one breath at the start of the season, we can't possibly move on from Pete Carroll because I remember the 80s and the 90s and what life was like before <laughs> Pete Carroll came around. I don't want to go back to that. And then a few weeks later, they're going, um, trade Russell Wilson and rebuild. And I'm like, hang on a minute. So you're, you, you want to actively voice in public your concern of what the post Carroll Seahawks look like. But this, then a few weeks later, you're saying, blow it all up and get rid of Carol. What's more likely to get you back to the 80s or the 90s? Is it trading Russell Wilson for draft picks in what is one of the worst-looking draft classes ever in 2022? Or is it just moving on from a 70-year-old head coach? I'm I'm, I'm sorry. I can't believe that those two opinions have come out the same person's mouth in, the, in a matter of months. And yet here we are. It's pretty clear what the Seahawks have to do. And I wrote about this the other day. They've got to go and find their answer to Matt LaFleur. They've got to find a young coach who is, is lockstep with the quarterback. OK, the, the relationship in Green Bay is a little bit frosty with Aaron Rodgers. That's one because Aaron Rodgers is a massive arsehole. And the other reason <laughs> is because they drafted a quarterback in the first round when they had no need to go and draft a quarterback in the first round. They should have drafted a receiver instead. That's it. Don't do either of those two things. Well, you can't do it. Obviously the RSO things at thing. Don't draft a quarterback next year in the first or second round. Get you a coach that has a vision that meshes with the quarterback. Go and fix your trenches. The Seahawks can go very quickly from where they are now to back to being a really good team. The Bucs went from six wins to Super Bowl champions. The Packers went from six wins to 13 and three and back to back 13 and threes and back to back NFC championship games. The path back to being a really good team is not as far as some people think, but you ain't gonna get there by doing the same thing year in, year out with the is, same people.
0: Is 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 the person to do that, to marry a coach, a team to the quarterback, to Russell Wilson,
2: is do you think he's in the building or in the league no. at the minute? He's not in the building because, and I, I was talking to Jeff Simmons about this on a stream recently, and he kind of felt that from what he's hearing, that Carroll and Schneider have lost a lot of their mojo because of what's happened this year, because of what's happened with the Wills, that actually hit them quite hard when Wilson was going to, his agent was going to Adam Schefter and saying, these are the four teams that I want to go to. <laughs> that they've actually, it's, it's hit them for six a little bit. And I think that there has to be, I, I think the Jamal Adams trade is, is a fireable offense on its own. I think when you marry it with the, the draft picks that they've spent over the years, and yeah, okay, they've had DK Metcalf and Daryl Taylor looks like being good, but you get judged on your highest picks. When you trade someone like Frank Clark and then you use those picks, you're going to be judged on that. When you use two first-round picks on a safety and give him $17.5 million, you're going to get judged on that. I, I, like everybody else, I'm delighted they drafted DK Metcalf from Daryl Taylor, but it doesn't excuse all the rest of the stuff. They've had a chance to reset this roster and they've done a bad job. And there needs to be consequences of that because like there would be consequences in any other industry if you don't do things the right way. So it's time for somebody else to have a go, in my opinion, if John Schneider stays, then he better do a better job next time around because there's another reset coming.
1: I mean, also, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. You know, the classic thing that people say is, oh, you know, be careful what you wish for. You know, you get rid of Pete Carroll, anyone could come through the door. I get the, the sense behind that. But off the top of my head, is there a single team with an elite quarterback that's not doing particularly well right now, other than Seattle? I mean, like all all of these coaches that have been mocked, like Zach Taylor and Cliff Kingsbury and, you know, Brandon Staley comes into a job and maybe they've, you know, he's got a bit of work to do, but everyone that has a quarterback is kind of doing pretty well. And I think if anything, if you look at the Belichick situation in new England, yeah, he's doing all right with Mac Jones, but you know, if you took a poll of a hundred people and said, you know, what seems to be the most important thing in the NFL right now, if you've got the quarterback, it seems to set your ceiling so your floor pretty high. And so I'd much rather take my chances on keeping the quarterback and getting a young guy in with fresh ideas than trying to, you know, keep the head coach and and change the quarterback because the evidence around the league would suggest that one of those is far more important than the other. And if you've got it, cling on to it for dear life. Well, it's very simple. You can you can just sort of
2: break it down. So what would you rather have? You guys answer this. Would you rather have Pete Carroll with either a, a you know, a stopgap, uh, maybe trade a first-round pick for Matt Ryan, who's nearly 40, or you go and trade for Sam Darnold, or you bring in Ryan Fitzpatrick, or you draft Kenny Pickett, who's probably the best quarterback who's eligible for the draft next year. Would you rather that with 70-year-old Pete Carroll? And I keep mentioning his age, only not to be age. It does matter. But, but to say, look, he's not going to be around forever, is he? Let's be honest. He's not, a ten, he's not 10 years left in the game, has he? So if you draft the quarterback, how much longer is he going to have? How much more do you give Carroll before that rookie quarterback gets to his peak? You know, do you see what I mean? And then would you rather have that? Or would you rather have, let's say, well, pick one of the young, pick a Joe Brady, Brian Darboll, Kellen Moore, um, any of these guys, you know, the the the, sort of the young, new, every any, BNMA, any of these co- with Russell Wilson. What would you rather go with <laughs> next year? Because for me, it's an, it's, it's, to say it to no brain, it is to not use language strong enough for that.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, Adam, where, where should we go? No, I mean I
1: I, I can <laughs> completely agree, and it just I don't know. I feel like we're twisting ourselves in knots trying to. You're right. I think it's we all love Pete Carroll, and that's cool. But now we can talk is about it? Pete Carroll yeah. now, and I think there's too many people that are intertwining the two things that you know it's, you know, you don't like the guy. It's not that we don't like the guy. It's just, it's, it's just time for, time for a change. I mean, I'm hearing people like, you know, Dick Fane on the radio, be careful what you wish for. And, you know, the Seahawks have, you know, look, you know, look at the defense. They're actually only giving up 169 points oh, in the round. Come for, on, Dick. Like, do me a fucking favor, mate. Like we was this was NFC championship game or bust was the start of the season. Um Russell, minimum target.
0: Russell Wilson said on his first press sting and training camp, do you know what heals everything or something like that is winning? And yeah. the Seahawks' injury, whatever, weren't doing that that well or looking like they were going to sustainably do that either. So the, the one thing the quarterback who had the issue in the offseason said could solve everything
2: is not happening. So it yeah, hasn't well,
0: solved anything.
2: Firstly, isn't it great that Dick Fane has to host a radio show with the voice of, uh, of, of reason? <laughs> uh, because, because whenever I listen to Softy, I just constantly think, nailed it again. You know, he just has, you know, um, and a real voice for the fans, and, I, and I'm glad that there's that counter punch to, you know, not to 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 hammer Dick too much, but this kind of scared, you know, safe, be careful what you wish for, opinion, undaring to sort of, it, it's just such a, an easy cop out to go to that. Make your case for why Pete Carroll should be the head coach for the next few years without just talking about the past. You know, why should you be? And, and it all comes back to this. It doesn't matter how many times he's been in the playoffs in the past. It doesn't matter, um, you know, how, how many notches he has in terms of his career as a coach. The only thing that matters is we, it has been made abundantly clear to all of us that the quarterback no longer believes in Pete Carroll's philosophy. It's not been hinted at, it's been spelled out on, national TV, on international TV by people like Jay Glazer and Greg Olsen, who played with Russell Wilson. It's been made abundantly clear to, to Mark Rogers' buddies in the media that Wilson does not agree with Carroll's way of doing things anymore. So if you want a future without Russell Wilson, then keep saying things like, be careful what you wish for. I'd turn that back around and go, you be careful what you wish for because we've seen what life without Russell Wilson is like. And life with Pete Carroll moving forward is life without Russell Wilson. And mm. I don't want to watch Kenny Pickett running this offense next year. <laughs> I don't, I saw Matt Ryan in London. I ain't having that nearly 40 years old. And it had cost a, a high pick to go and get him. I'm not interested. Let's go with Russell Wilson. Let's go with the players that, you know, you've got about three or four players that you can build with for the future. It's not a lot, but you get the trenches right. O-line, D-line. Get a good cornerback, get a center who can block Aaron Donald. Well, say it block Aaron Donald. Try and do a better job
1: at blocking the same postcode as Aaron Donald.
2: Yeah. And you know what? You'll quickly find that the Seahawks can go from where they are, getting absolutely hammered. I mean, like, here's the other thing. So people say, people say the defense is better. It's only given up X yards against Jameis Winston and the rotting corpse of Ben Roethlisberger's NFL career. And Trevor uh, Lawrence rookie being coached as appallingly as you've already made clear, Stu. Okay. That's great. Why the hell have we started the last two seasons looking like if one of us was playing quarterback, we'd get 300 yards. Like it's, it's, two, it's two seasons in a row now where the Seahawks haven't just started flat on defense. They've been on track to be historically the worst defense in NFL history for yardage back to back years. And they come out and go, We just need to get it right. We just need to do this. We're just doing this wrong. That's coaching. What have you been doing during training camp? Why have you not got your scheme even remotely nailed down so that mm-hmm. when you start, I'll excuse one or two bad games. When you talk about three, four, five bad games in a row to start the season, costing you. At what point do you have to say, That's not acceptable? And Pete's a defensive coach, he's handpicked the defensive coordinator. That's not good enough.
1: Well, and in addition to that, I mean, there isn't an algorithm or equation for this, but if you tossed all of your cap money into a cauldron and all of your draft picks into a cauldron and mixed it all up, and then you said, well, this amount, percentage wise, of our resources have gone to the offense and this has gone to the defense, the defense must have about 70% of resources in the last five years, you know, picks wise, cap. They fucking better be good. You know, yeah. best one. I expect a lot better than what they are now, given, yeah, you know, this isn't like a, you know, they've not had to, you know, penny pinch here on the defence because they, you know, we just got to get this extra receiver. We've got to get this extra offensive lineman, offensive guard and like, all of the resources have gone on the defence and they're still just bang average. Since they,
0: since they stopped making Super Bowls, I think the only offensive actual first pick of offensive player was Penny, because you got Collier, you got McDowell, you got Blair. Who was Barton before Blair? I can't remember. But,
1: Either so, or. Yeah. Same yeah, year. This, yeah. this last draft, this last draft affected picks one, three, and four are on the defense. Yeah, that's an enormous, enormous resource. Yeah, and, and
0: last year was Jamal and Darrell Taylor.
1: Hmm.
2: And, yeah. and and I just the, the way that the defense is is structured and built as well. I mean that. Uh, Everyone was going nuts about the pass rush. I mean, not everybody, you know, but it, it, it certainly. And, and I'm, not, I'm not saying this with the glorious hindsight. I wasn't convinced by this pass rush. I can't get excited about a group of Benson Mayoa, an aging Carlos Dunlap, you know, Kerry Hyder, who was the definition of a journeyman, and oh, we've got rid of Jaron Reed, who had like 17 sacks the last two full seasons out, and we're going to replace him with um, with our Woods. And look, our Woods has been. <laughs> Really good. Mm -hmm. No issue with that whatsoever. But there was nothing about this pass rush that made me think that's going to do a better job this year. And it's great that Daryl Taylor steps to the fore, but they're still not giving Elton Robinson enough snaps. They're still not giving Daryl Taylor enough snaps. They're still giving other players too many snaps. You've still got pass rushers basically acting as de facto linebackers in this scheme. They've not done a good enough... I mean, the cornerback position was a great big... Like, it was almost as if, you know, uh, a train was pulling into the station and it was going, oh, you know, arriving on platform two now is, a, is an issue at cornerback. And like everyone could see it, the train, the cornerback crisis coming into the station, you could hear it and there was an announcement for it. And it's as if Pete Carroll had his headphones on and wasn't just was the only person who wasn't <laughs> actually paying attention to that, that honking great alarm that was a huge train coming into the cornerback crisis station because he didn't do anything about it. You know, and then they go in and think, ah, it's OK, a Keller with a spoon and Trey Flowers. That's fine. You know, oh, oh uh, we were a killer with didn't even make the first game because before they shooed him off to Pittsburgh, Trey Flowers was Trey Flowers for three weeks and then they decided to get rid of him. And like, they've kind of like, oh, we, we've kind of sorted it out. And someone like Big Fame maybe was set there going, they've got, it, they've got it sorted now. They've got a couple of... My word, how has it taken half the season to get to this position where you're, you're okay with your cornerbacks?
0: And, and isn't DJ Reed injured? He's
2: injured now. Yeah, um, so it's literally trade
0: But The biggest thing with Pete Carroll, I think we would struggle to replace is uh, having all but one player vaccinated, having no COVID positives last year, having the social, like the stuff on Monday to Saturday, but that is not worth to the detriment it clearly is going to be to the Sunday night product, Adam.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm just in my head trying to work out who's going to get the uh, the annual... Wish we could have gotten more snaps this year. <laughs> oh, in the, uh, right, it, it's
0: definitely Robinson.
1: But Trey Brown's made a late push for that. Mm, he yeah. is making a late push. So it's going to be Alton or Trey Brown of... Wish we could have got him more snaps this year. Uh,
0: yeah, I, mean, I, I think I'll be. A just, just yeah, we just, we just didn't. Yeah, we
1: just, just didn't quite get him enough snaps, did we? In fairness, Ryan Neal is edging in that direction, though he yeah. isn't always uh, a performer when, when when he's on the field. But um, I love that. Yeah, that, that's a real classic carolism, and I, I'll miss those when we have another head coach and who's actually just I mean, puts I, I, the right players on the pitch.
0: The um, 49ers weekly press conferences come on my timeline earlier. Their coach, their OC looks like Pete Davidson. Yes.
1: Like,
0: He's he he so young and we've got, I mean, yeah, a 70-year-old well, in
2: the offence. Y- you mentioned Ryan Neal there. Isn't it funny how Ryan Neal's doing things like sacking the quarterback and <laughs> flying around the field and then when Carroll was asked this week, who are the Maybe the unknown leaders on this roster? Who are the people who, you know, we all know about Bobby Wagner and Russell Wilson, but who are the people behind the scenes who you would say are an underrated leader? And he picks out Ryan Neal. I'm thinking, "Hmm, I'm sure you spent two first round picks and $17.5 million for a guy like this, but why is Ryan Neal, who was a free agent, uh, undrafted free agent, the one who who is providing seemingly everything that you wanted from Jamal Adams at a fraction of the price? And, you know, you're talking about the coach looking young there. I, you know, somebody asked Carol the other day um, to talk a little bit about Tater again. And honestly,
0: <laughs> I, I, I didn't even hear that question. But I know who asked it's, that it's as
2: if it's as if the question was was taking the piss, frankly. Like, and, and I and I appreciate in that because I'm sat there thinking exactly the same as I think the person asked the question because they asked the question in a way that made me think they were taking the piss. Like, it's just like, yeah, why is he back? Like you know, why is Ken Norton Jr. the defensive coordinator? Why does the offense still look like it's Pete Carroll's offense rather than Shane Waldron's offense? These are you know, and and yet, well, I, but hang on, I've got to check myself again, haven't I? Because careful what you wish for.
1: It's funny old season, this isn't it? Yeah, because
0: a, I, I literally think this is the fourth straight week of having this exact same podcast.
1: <laughs> yeah it is mad yeah um i mean Um, like you know uh, another thing that you know is is, and i said this last week on on the show with jackson that i'm getting annoyed by the idea of like well, what do you expect with a backup quarterback um i mean you've had three you had three years to address the backup quarterback and you've you've persisted with juno smith this is entirely on you if juno smith doesn't perform to it you know there were two wins there that were easy wins to pick up against Pittsburgh and New Orleans, and you flush them down the toilet with three years of Juno Smith as your backup quarterback. I'm sorry, and you know, there's just nothing. I haven't, I haven't had one question put to Pete Carroll of, do you not think maybe he could have, you know, traded for someone better? I mean, Mike White and Cooper
0: Rush were names that won NFL games. I, I was just, I was
1: hmm. just going to say,
2: you know, what do you expect from backup quarterback? You mean like when Dallas went to Minnesota and run with Cooper Rush? Like when the New York Jets beat, who did the Jets beat? The Cincinnati the Bengals. Bengals, Bengals. With, the, bl- with the hottest Mike, offense in the league. With with Mike White. And, oh, what was that? Oh, yeah, New Orleans just won against the Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Trevor Simeon playing most of the game. So <laughs> what is the expectation? Is it really beyond expectation that the Silks might have beaten what was a pretty horrendous Pittsburgh team? Or that they might have beaten the, the Saints in a game where the Saints basically had one play, which was to dump it off to Alvin Kamara. And are they beat the Jaguars and now we are going to say it's a job well done. There's other teams out there. There's weaker teams than even Seattle, the Jets, who are winning with backup quarterbacks against better teams. Is it that wrong to expect that maybe Geno could have gone two and one from this stretch?
1: Well, I think it's too much to expect Geno to have done it because he's a walking meme of a quarterback.
2: Or, t- or it's for the silks, Se- generally right. You're right. Yeah. I should have, ref- I, should- I misspoke there. For the Silks to win with a backup in this run of, sh- of, sh- of so that it doesn't destroy the season, which this has almost done.
1: They could easily have been, they should have been 3 0 in the last three games. If the roster that I'm, if we're continually told that, this other, that the rest of the roster is strong enough, you know, to be a, you know, 6 and 11, 5 and 12 team, then, you know, that, those were three of your easier games of the season. And here's, a, here's another good point.
2: They didn't trust Geno Smith at all when this season started because they kept Sean Mannion. On the initial fifty-three man roster, hmm. and when Pete Carroll was asked why they kept Sean Mannion on, he said it was competition. And then they cut Sean Mannion, and then called up Jake Luton, who is being called Jake Luton on practically <laughs> every radio station in Seattle, and it's hilarious. But you know, we have Luton in this country, so we kind of know what's better.
0: Oh, it's, um, it's, it's like Strachan, Stram in Indianapolis. Yeah,
2: but <laughs> they, so, they, so they get so they get Luton from Jacksonville when he's cut. So they clearly. Had reservations about Geno Smith's ability to be the backup, but didn't really do enough about it. And then when you have someone like Gardner Minshew available for a sixth, and for all the you know the, the Seahawks will throw a seventh at a, a random cornerback that someone's about to cut, or they'll you know would <laughs> it have really killed them? Like if Gardner Minshew had been brought back to Washington State um, for a sixth-round pick or whatever it was that the Eagles traded him for, um, the Seahawks probably would be three and zero. Oh. And do you know what? Yeah it would have been a damn sight more entertaining Mm. watching Gardner Minshew in these last three games than... um, And what happens to always compete? Why does it have to be Sean Miner and Jake Luton? Why can't it be Minshew mania coming to Seattle? Is that too much of a distraction for the Seahawks? You know, I I don't... That would would have been great.
0: But would, would Minshew... Obviously, Mike Leach, doesn't really matter what you do with Jacksonville, would that have worked? Would he have been
2: allowed to do that
0: in Seattle? Just that... Balls
2: to the wall, kind of. I still would have backed him, you know, every time Gino Smith moves out of the pocket and and gets on the run. You know, with Russell Wilson, you kind of sit up in your seat, don't you? think, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? With Gino Smith, you sit back in your seat and go, throw it away, Gino. Don't do anything stupid, (laughs) because he can't throw on the run. As soon as he sets off, he just looks like a a panic-stricken deer (laughs) in the middle of the M1. We had... I shouldn't use it. We actually had some cows on the M1 M1, in Sheffield today, and it shut down the M1 for a while. And I saw a little clip of one of the cows, like looking terrified on the on the on the M one, as it was like not sure what to do. And I thought, that's Geno Smith when he's on the run out of the pocket. That's exactly the face Geno pulls. It's, it's and it is frustrating. And you're right, but it doesn't get questioned, does it? No one has no. said to Carol, "Could you have done more here?" I mean, I, I mean, to the ridiculousness that Pete Carroll does a radio show every Monday and doesn't get asked questions like that, but the same presenter brings up the names of Barry Bonds and um, Lance Armstrong in a, in a podcast uh, published this week when discussing Russell Wilson's ability to heal quickly and then has <laughs> to say over and over again, I'm not saying that Russell Wilson's on steroids, but I'll keep mentioning Lance Armstrong and Barry Bonds when I'm talking about him getting healthy. I'm thinking, how can you go from one extreme to the other whereby you discuss that topic? I, I mean, just, could that thought of not have just stayed in your head? Could, did it have to come out of your mouth and be voiced publicly? But then when Pete Carroll sat there, it's like, oh, Pete, you've you've got absolutely destroyed here. But just how good was that time that Michael Dixon kicked the ball twice on a punt? You know, it's... Come on.
1: Yeah, it is, it is a bit... Well, you, you, you've said this for a, a while, Robert, it just... You know, bring back Joe Fan because it has has got a, a smidge soft sometimes in these uh, in these press conferences, a little bit matey, matey. And I get it because you know, it, it, and it sort of goes back to the idea of you know we all love Pete Carroll, and I, I'm I think Stuart said quite well last week. It, it's almost becoming uncomfortable some of the pile on against him because you know that there, there is a backlash in certain corners, and to try and keep it respectful whilst wanting him to get fired or, or resign is can be a, a you know a tricky line to skate sometimes, but yeah, you, know, you get you get to speak to the guy four times a week. It's not an unreasonable question to ask why Juno Smith, after three years as your backup quarterback, you know, I, I felt like we probably saw enough in the Pittsburgh game to think, well, this probably isn't it. Yeah. They Is
0: they should did... they should have called someone the minute Russell Wilson got to the sideline against the Rams.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, sure on this, yeah. Right? But Pete, Pete always said, didn't he? When you know, in that Kaepernick summer, you know, we, we, we don't want to get him in as a backup, but you know, if, if Russell went down, he'd be the first person we call. I just call BS on that straight away. I mean, I mean, maybe there's a Wilson thing there whereby you know, he's not comfortable with with the idea of, a, of an actual quarterback behind him as a potential challenge, but you know, Russell, we're giving you $35 million a year it's pretty clear that no one's going to take your spot as long as you're playing well. And in a way, you'd think that someone like Wilson would, al- would almost relish a quality backup as opposed to Gino, who's basically a Harry Redknapp, Nico Cranshaw, terrific young family man, just to sort of have, have about the place, which is just farcical, really. Didn't, know, they, didn't, know, uh,
0: didn't they draft Alex Magoo with Gino here? Uh, That's a good question, though. So was seventh
2: round pick on Alex Magoo... I don't think so. I think that might it have been... might have been four years ago. Was that
0: Boykin or Huntley or what?
2: It might have been when Huntley was here.
0: Yeah.
2: I think it was because then Magoo got cut, didn't he? And then went somewhere else rather than San for Seattle's practice squad. And I'm pretty sure he lost to uh, Huntley. What I was going to say is that it's... Do you know what? As much as, we, you know, and I've complained a lot in this podcast and um, and, you know, you guys have kind of <laughs> Indulged me in that. Um, it, it's funny, really, that, that you know this is the, how our sport works, isn't it? Um, we now have a situation where Aaron Rodgers is, let's just say, a at, at doubt to play against Seattle in the next the next game after the bye week. Um, if he does play, he could potentially be playing the day after being allowed back into the facility, um, which will be a challenge for the Packers. Uh, it, it, may, it, makes, it brings a whole new light to that game if Russell Wilson's starting and Aaron Rodgers isn't, having kind of assumed maybe for a period that it would be Geno Smith against Aaron Rodgers if it's now Russell Wilson against Jordan Love. If the Seahawks go and beat the Packers, we will then be going into the Arizona game and it will, it will be undoubtedly a false dawn. But with just the glimmer of excitement ahead of that Arizona mm. game at home, thinking if they just win this, they are suddenly back at 500. And
0: Arizona might not have Kyler.
2: Yeah, so it, it kind of opens itself up. Now, if, if, it, if they got to sort of 5-5, five and five, which are still, I think it's a bit of a stretch, then um, I don't think it would be the precursor for some epic run. That Because you still have to imagine this team doing well in the playoffs, don't you? You still have to imagine this team coming up against you know, Green Bay again when they have Rodgers, or Brady in the books, or the Rams now with their... You know the most ridiculous pass rush in the history of of the NFL. (laughs) You know, and and you and it's hard to imagine this Seahawks team winning on the road against those teams. But if nothing else, it will provide a bit more excitement, won't it? You know, when we're waiting for the game on a Sunday afternoon or waiting until nine twenty-five, the thought that I'm actually invested in what might happen today will be an upgrade on what we've seen over the last few weeks.
1: Yeah, I'm going to have to phrase this incredibly gently so as not to seem like I want Seattle to ever lose a game because I definitely don't but I kind of feel like having to stomach a lot of the force-fed rubbish if the Seahawks end up beating the Rogerless Packers and the Kyler Murrayless Cardinals go to five and five with this great new dawn of what an amazing team we have. I think I might have find that so difficult to take and have to listen to for a week, you know, with this being five and five. There's almost part of me that thinks, I kind of want to get slapped and be three and seven. To, <laughs> so we can sort of move up, we can sort of move on and get on with building the next great yeah. Seattle team, which is ultimately what we're here for. We're here to win a Super Bowl and build the next great team. We don't have it now. And it's kind of that. That New Orleans game, I was—I almost was watching it, thinking, "How does this benefit anyone by winning this?" And and it was a weird—it was a weird one. I've not not been there with with Seattle before, but there's part of me that thinks about, you know, having to stomach all of the, you know, the the Carolites saying, well, they just beat Green Bay and 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 the Cardinals, and they gave up 24 points in the process." Like, I think I might find that quite a tricky one to have to stomach. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, Do you know who the Arizona Cardinals' backup quarterback is?
2: That's a great question. Uh, uh, I have, I
0: have no give, idea. I'll give you a clue. He beat the Seahawks last year. That's sort of. Colt McCoy. Yeah. Colt McCoy in two weeks. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> with a decent defence. Or so they lost JJ Watt. Yeah, it's... Yeah, I, I, I was... Well, the question I was going to ask you, you guys is uh, uh, with uh, Russell, this team have never um, won less than nine games. That seems like a stretch. Like... A marathon away at this
1: point. Um, the six easy games left now aren't easy in the most inverted of commas. Um, but th- there is quite a split of like Cardinals, Green Bay, Rams. And then I think you've got the other six games, Chicago, Houston.
0: Because they were nine when everything fell apart. Like, yeah. A- Averill got injured. Cam got injured. There was no running backs left.
1: The Jimmy Graham, Jimmy Graham last season. Yeah.
0: They went, yeah. I think that's the least amount of games he's won in the
1: season. Yeah, nine was definitely the fewest.
2: And obviously they won seven in 2010, 2011. Nine seems it seems achievable because of the schedule. You know, having to go to Washington, if Russell Wilson was back, you would you would but I think the way that their season's going, you would feel somewhat confident. And they beat him at the end of last season, didn't they? The Niners at home, Texans. Bears at home, Lions at home, and and if those games really mattered for something, and if Russell Wilson had got the bit between his teeth, you could see them winning all of those. I suppose the difference is whether they can, you know, get a win against the Cardinals, can they win in Green Bay? I don't have any hope whatsoever of them beating the Rams, so you know, it's, it's what, but then things can change, don't they? Like we've seen Russell Wilson go out for three weeks and the Steelers and the Saints and, and Jacksonville look at us differently. And if, if Matt Stafford got injured for the Rams, it changes. If Aaron Donald got injured for the Rams, it changes. You just don't know what's going to happen between now and then. Mm-hmm. So I don't think nine's completely out the question. I think that Adam makes a great point there. It's like, if you want to get, if, you, if they've they got to nine and eight and got the seventh seed or got to even 10 wins and got the seventh seed, and then subsequently made a swift exit out of the playoffs. You know, you you worry a little bit that it's it's going to be an, an advert for the status quo being retained. Yeah, they'll but want to run it back.
1: Oh, you know, if we didn't lose Wilson for a few games. But yeah. it's bullshit. Yeah.
2: yeah. When, when what really is needed is significant change. Because you're right, Adam, we want to see the Seahawks going for the Super Bowl again. And I think it's pretty clear that, you know, this dog has had its day, so to speak, in terms of this regime.
0: It's a purgatory, isn't it? Hmm. Kind
2: of thing. It's
1: Jeff Fisher. It's is, is Jeff Fisher with a quarterback right now. Unfortunately, that but that is that is the truth. Yeah. What does Carroll actually? You know, what
2: are the big positives that Carroll brings to the table right now? Would you say?
0: It, it's why I say it's it's the stuff that doesn't count on Sundays.
1: Yeah. T- t- the team culture. We probably poo poo it because we're not in the locker room as much, but I think that is a massive thing. And I think engendering a good environment for players to play in. I know it doesn't necessarily manifest itself in points, wins, interceptions, whatever. But I think there is a lot to be said about the not being like a farcical franchise to play for that probably does bring players to Seattle. But
2: they've been a circus since day one under Carroll. Yeah, but there's It's
0: it's just different levels. I mean, listen,
2: I've praised praised the culture Mm. a lot over the years. I've always said I think, he's, I think he's a great culture builder and stuff like that. But I must admit, when you have a player, a, team, a teammate punching another teammate the week of the Super Bowl, is that a good culture? When you have Marshawn Lynch basically doing whatever he wants, is that a good culture? When you have Richard Sherman yelling on the sideline, is that a good culture? When you have various players leave the team and then go to whoever it was at ESPN and, and refer to the team as the Titanic, is that a good culture? When you have like half the roster having a conspiracy theory about... Pete Carroll wants him, Russell Wilson, to be the Super Bowl MVP, and that's why they threw on the one-yard line. Is that a good culture? Is it a good culture when you have, um, you know, a, 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 you, you draft a rookie and he goes and does something stupid and gets himself basically out of the NFL for a few years before he gets a renaissance with the Cleveland Browns? You know, you can run through all of these things. Define culture. Mm-hmm. Are we saying that good culture means you're not ashamed for the coach to coach your team because there are some coaches out there that you wouldn't want your, to coach your team. You'd be embarrassed to have them. No one's been embarrassed to have Carol as the, as the coach. And he's very positive, isn't he? He's an upbeat character and we take all of that and we say, yes, great. But there's been a lot of stupid, you know, what going on in Seattle as well over the last 12 years and in fairness, it sounds like one of the worst cultures takes place in New England and they've won a lot. So I'm kind of thinking, what's the great culture really? You know?
1: Who are the drag racers outside the VMAC? Uh, Fred Jackson
0: and is it Marshall?
1: I think it might have been. It's Fred Jackson, definitely.
0: But also also talking with the I think Schrager on the nearly unwatchable. G good morning football on Monday said that there's there's three like of this new breed of coaches, there's three who are like above them, like seniority and he said Carol Tomlin and Belichick and Tomlin along your lines Rob is dealt with Antonio Brown, a quarterback who is basically semi-retired every year for the last decade. And he's still probably going to be in the conversation for the playoffs again and he's probably as he said the other week got the most secure job in all of American professional sports
2: Quick shout out to Good Morning Football for for labelling LJ Collier uh, Seattle Seahawks breakout star during the off-season for his great season last year that
1: was a great call Um, It's funny with with Collier that like and it's something that is leveled at Spurs sometimes that like they demand such value for their (laughs) dreck but won't give up any value for someone else's like half decent player is quite funny. Yeah.
2: I think with, uh, you know, on the talk of court, you know, and, and Tomlin has been here a long time. And it, it, I mean, personally, I, I Tomlin's a lot younger than Carroll, but I kind of feel like they're in the same boat. You know, like Tomlin should probably go away. It's not for me to tell Mike Tomlin what he should do, but he probably would benefit from taking a year or two off, coming back with a new team and having another go with a fresh start. Probably with a team that's got a high pick and can draft a quarterback when quarterbacks become a thing in college football again. So, you know, in two or three years' time. That probably wouldn't be a bad thing because it's hard to imagine unless they go and get Aaron Rodgers in the off season or Russell Wilson and mm-hmm. go and then have a great year. Then it's hard to imagine him doing that. But then by all accounts, that seems to be the plan. I think he's actually on the record, Tom and saying, mm-hmm. I don't want a young quarterback, I want yeah. a veteran next year. And they'll probably go and blum and get one and be really good. Um, but you talk about culture. You know, no one ever says anything about Sean McVeigh's culture in the LA Rams, and yet, you know. They don't seem to have any issues there, from, and they have some big characters like Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald. Doesn't seem to be any issues. So, like when I think of like the great Carol culture, and listen, I'm really happy that Carol has got everybody vaccinated and they didn't have the COVID stuff like that. But he ain't, he ain't running a school, you know. He's, he, he's, it comes down to what is he providing? Is he providing fantastic? Defensive football? No. Is his vision for the offense really prolifically productive? No. Actually, it's really frustrating at times. And the quarterback hates it. Um, is he a great in game adjuster? No. Um, does he have a knack for, you know, outsmarting the top coaches in the league? N- no. I, like, it's, it's hard to sort of think what is he doing right now that is. Is a difference maker as a, as a head coach, really. And I'm sure that people could come up with stuff. I'm being quite blunt about this. I'm sure if someone really sat down and thought about it, they could come up with a list of five things. I just, it's not abundantly clear to me what huge benefit we're getting from the head coach right now. Whereas I can watch the Rams and go, um, Sean McVeigh's offense is really, really good and has been for a few years.
1: You're torn on this one, Stu. More, I think, more than.
0: What no, no, I'm I'm literally about to say the opposite. So last week on the pod, Um, Jackson was on. I think Adam even said it's like a kind of a tag team like you two against me and Jackson. But I think Adam can kind of pick up on our like chats off um, camera or whatever, off air. Is that? Yeah. um, That sounds really, Uh, it's kind of started to sway. I mean. That picture I posted, I sent to you, Adam, of and Wenger at Old Trafford, that kind of what it feels like with Pete Carroll, and it's going to continue to feel like with Pete Carroll for the next however many weeks, seven, eight, nine weeks. I mean, it's, Mike Conger in 2009, 2010 had like a a, a lap of honour around the Snowfield, uh, Questfield, essentially, whatever it was then. That ain't going to happen with Pete Carroll, and that's kind of, I don't know, that is kind of just, it, it, yeah, like I said last week, Pete Carroll, with hindsight being turned all the way up to 1,000, should have gone when everyone else went in 2018. With, a, a, like,
2: hindsight... I don't, in I, don't agree, I don't agree with that, you see, because this is the thing. I think he deserved the chance to reset the team. I don't think he'd earned the rights to have a go at this. They've just got it wrong. They've just made bad decisions in terms of personnel and they've built the roster poorly. But I think he fully deserved because he he had achieved so much in Schneider in the first go around. They deserved a chance. And like, if they did, if we'd have all just given up at the first sign of trouble there and then it all went wrong, we'd all be wondering, why the hell did you do that? You know, this coach created the L L B. Under his leadership, you traded for Marshawn and drafted Russell. Like, how could you give up on that? But now it's been 18, 19, 20, 21, and we've They've had four years to reset this and the team's regressing. It's not progressing. So that's why the change. And I guarantee that people who are going to listen to this are probably going to be really mad that we've spent an hour basically like being really negative and moaning about this because people often want a bit of light. But it, it feels... I think we're in this position now where we're, and we're going to be in this position for most of the season. I think a lot of podcasts, not just this one, not just the ones I do, I think a lot of them are going to sound a lot like this. And the reason is because everyone's not sure what's going to happen. With Holmgren, we all knew he was going at the end and we all knew who was taking over. Yeah. So you always had that kind of like, oh, well, it's bad, but next season, fresh start, okay. Um, if people remember 2009, th- there was similar feeling then because already was already... A lot, and I was certainly one of those people who just thought, Jim Mora is never going to be the right guy <laughs> for this team. And what you had was for the last sort of six weeks was a lot of fans going, get rid of him. It's not going to work. Like you've got receivers going on KJR. Can you remember there was the three receivers went on the radio and basically criticised Jim Mora on the radio <laughs> and criticised what was going, going wrong with the team? And it was like, this is falling apart. You can't have this guy in charge of the team anymore. And then, you know, the the journalists would be like, well, he's not going to go anywhere. You know, there was articles written, columnists go, Jim Moore is not going to go after. They're not going to do that. The Seahawks aren't one of those franchises. not going to fire a guy after one year. And when they did it, it was real excitement and, and, oh, Carroll's coming in. It's exciting. And that was it. But the 2009 season was arduous like this because everyone was left wondering what's going to happen. And it's a bit like that now because we know, don't know whether Carroll's going to go or not and we don't know what the future of Russell Wilson is, you can't help but talk about it. If it was announced that Carroll's leaving at the end of the year, we'd all think, as much as we all like Carroll, I think we'd all go, oh. Mm. Because you know there's something to, that if it doesn't work out, if they don't have the great, you know, comeback, there is still going to be change. There is still a chance that Russell Wilson's going to be here. We all get a chance to say a proper goodbye and thank you to Pete Carroll. We can stop talking about his future and his job in a kind of, it's not a disrespectful way, but a negative way. And we can celebrate his career instead. But not knowing, and that sort of worry, that anxiety of, oh my God, they're not going to try and do this again next year, are they, is an issue. And it means that we all end up talking about this, and we will do till January, I'm afraid.
0: There's only really two differences, though, isn't there, from the more, uh whatever that was, to this season. It's, one's the quarterback, even though he's only a year younger than... Year, maybe two years younger than Matt Hasselbeck was. but Also, there's the other one is, I think, someone you've mentioned quite often in the last couple of years, Rob, and it's the ownership. Because Paul Allen already had going out and getting Mike Holmgren and him changing everything for the first part of this century. Jodie Allen hasn't shown anything, like through choice or through, like, opportunity, that she would or is willing to make the sweeping change that Mike Holmgren was in 1999-2000 as Pete Carroll was in
2: 2009-2010. Yes, and that's the, the other sort of anxiety about the whole thing because it's very easy to imagine either side with Jody Allen or Chuck Arnold or whoever it is, you know, who ultimately is the, is the decision-maker in Seattle. It might even be it's not just Jody Allen, that it's like the ownership group. So I could imagine them actually surprising people because we just don't know. I mean, it's, we shouldn't assume the worst with this ownership group, being very bold being very aggressive, being very ambitious and doing a Paul Allen-esque move. There's no reason to think that that's definitely not going to happen. But it's also very easy to think they've given Carroll a five-year contract, they've given Schneider a long contract, they've put their faith there, they trust in those guys, they may be thinking to sell the team and they don't want to make pay off a coach with loads of years on his contract when they're thinking of selling it in three or four years' time. They don't want to deal with that. If Wilson wants out, well then see you later. We're going to back the coach and the GM. It's also easy to imagine that, and that's the issue. I don't. I don't think if if Paul Allen was still with us, I don't think we'd have gone into this season with the status quo. I think either Wilson would have gone because I think Allen would have gone. If you want out, off you go.
0: Yeah.
2: And I think if. If that wasn't the case, he would have changed coaches and GM because he either either way someone would have gone. I don't yeah. think he. I, I certainly don't think we'd have had all that drama for a month and then radio silence until June, and then an attempt by all parties to go. There are no American soldiers in Baghdad.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Also, we kind of. I think we said Jackson as well last week that the same thing is happening with Vulcan Sports, his other team down in Portland, with. Damian Lillard wearing out their star, their franchise wearing out, and nothing's really been done to one appease him or two move him. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite.
2: Isn't it sad that Jerry Jones looked really, really effective in comparison? You know, the way that he's <laughs> drafted well, kind of has a team that's on the up and, you know. James hires the fun
0: offensive coach and lets him do his job.
2: Yeah, you know they've got like a dynamic offense. <laughs> you look at that and you think, "Oh no!" Like, how's it? <laughs> <laughs> the Cowboys uh, might might I actually win the NFC. You know yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, So the Seahawks are off this week. Uh, uh, praise your uh, closest date, team for some, because it's just going to be a Sunday with NFL Red Zone. As Charles McDonald forwards on Twitter has had on his uh, Twitter app. All season red zone 7 and 0. I think that's going to be all of us this weekend because that's the only way, probably the more fun way to watch um, NFL Sunday. Uh,
1: anything else, Adam? No, I think that's pretty good. I mean, Rob, I appreciate that you think we have listeners. Um, that's always, <laughs> yeah. always goes down very nicely. But you
2: probably got less after this moaning podcast. <laughs> well, no, but,
1: but you say that. But I mean, I think I said on, on your show, Rob, and I think I've said here before, like, you know, we're not trying to you know, educate people what the hell do we know but you know people come to us and listen and hopefully they, they take something away of maybe some some temperature of where where the fan base is and and I said uh on your show in the summer definitely that like we've we've all kept our receipts from what we've said about the Russell Wilson summer and what needed to happen and what could happen and we all said you know that, you know, people can poo-poo the idea that Wilson may want out. There was a swathes of Seahawk media that were, you know, saying, oh, this is a journalistic, you know, they've built it up. This is just a media construction. You know, a lot of us put, pro put our necks out on the line and said, look, it's probably not going to happen last summer, but probably something's going to happen next summer that, that's going to be fairly seismic. And we've kept our receipts. And you know, it's not always the most positive thing that we've had to say on the show because ultimately the team's not winning that much. So of course it's not going to be because, you know, w- what are we doing here? Otherwise, what's the point? But I think the, the worst part for me of all of it is that I went into the season thinking something's going to happen in the off season and that will make this season exciting. And actually the exact reverse has happened. <laughs> it's something's going to happen there at the end the off season. And it's made this season feel really turgid. And I kind of feel like we're just playing the games and snapping the ball in order to get to February, when the thing is going to happen, yeah. um, and maybe we're we completely wrong, and maybe they'll run the whole thing back off the going ten and seven and, and, and losing to Dallas in the first round of the playoffs. God, I hope that's not the case. Mm. Um, but um, but I do I do find myself at the minute just sort of willing these games to finish so I can see what what's around the corner.
0: Yeah, I, I mean the biggest thing on this season for me is that my ticket to a primetime time late in the season, divisional game against arguably the biggest team rival for most of the last decade has been halved in price since I (laughs) booked in May.
2: Yeah, I've, I've heard you mention that a couple of times and mm, yeah, I, I do feel yeah. for you because, it, you know, I, I do remember, I remember going to a game in 2011 and it costing about 20 quid. Nice. And then I remember going to a game in 2014 and it costing about 300. <laughs> and, and, I, and I went when it was drifting closer to the 20 quid uh, range. Now, can I just say, I, th- I mean, Adam, I think has pulled that wonderfully. He often has, you know, he, uh, the ability to say a lot in in a few sentences that I struggled to say in five, in a five minute whinge. Um, so I think he's, he's sort of put that together brilliantly there. Um, I, I always feel like increasing, I don't know how you fellas feel, but maybe I'm a lot more negative than you are. And, and maybe some would say you should just own your opinions and not feel like I'd say this, but I, you know, I, I want to keep reminding people that I am desperate to be positive about the Seahawks and definitely don't set out to be negative and you know I've been accused of being overly negative you know people have suggested that I've got problems at home because of the way I've written on the blog or that I've, I've like got mental health issues but no it really is just you know how I feel about the Seahawks and for years I was accused of being too positive about the Seahawks and and you know people didn't like what I wrote because of that and now it's like flipped. Whenever we do a a podcast like this, I, I don't know whether you guys feel the same. It's not with any joy that we kind of talk about these things. It just mm-hmm. feels like it's an unavoidable topic. If you're mm-hmm. going to have a serious conversation about the Seahawks, this is what you have to talk about. You know, just as flushing out, you know, Ryan Neal's playing well, isn't he? Or what, what a catch by DK Metcalf for that touchdown. Yeah, you know, they're all nice things. They go without saying, though, don't they? You don't really have to dig into those. So the big meaty topics are what we've talked about. I think it, you'd be, we'd be doing people listening a massive disservice if we just ignored all of that to talk about meaningless things. Really? So, and, and I'm hoping, I really hope that the Seahawks make some positive change in the off-season. And this time next year, the only thing we're talking about is will the Seahawks stay undefeated next week when they play whoever they're playing? Because that'd be great.
0: Yeah, that seems a long way off. I, I think I said, when we started doing podcasts this year, Adam, I was kind of as checked out of an off-season and pre-season and really up till possibly even right now of a Seahawks season. I like, I've like I think Adam said I've barely celebrated such down year. I've s i have I went I've gone to bed immediately after three games and at halftime of one and before the end of the other. I just it's it's I I don't know why, but this team is I think Adam said before, there's no like people to rally behind really. There's no no, this, yeah, it's just, it's been a weird season, the fact there's still eight weeks of it to go, eight games of you, it to go, it's just a bit... Do you watch the of,
2: highlights? Do you ever watch the highlights of a game? Of the series game? Yeah. Having watched no. it? No. No. Because I, I used to watch every game back on condensed mode, yeah. because just to sort of live through it, and then, and then various times during the week I was just a bit bored, I'd probably throw on the highlights and watch it. And I can't think of anything worse right now.
0: <laughs> the, only, the, only, the only time I've ever watched highlights is where I used to clip in like rabel sand bites into the pod. And I haven't done that for like two years because Seahawks.com made it really hard to do. <laughs>
2: but I can anyway. I can remember I can remember certain touch, you know, like the 2012 season. Like I yeah. can I can practically picture the Wilson interception against the Jets in in 2012. I can imagine those Minnesota games, you know, 2012, 2013 yes. when they played each other. You know, I, I can imagine like the golden tape touchdowns against the Rams, like when he was waving goodbye, <laughs> you know, that all of those sort of great moments, the many, many, that like the Marshall, when Marshawn Lynch basically took over the game and beat the Giants and the Raiders in 2014. You know, you, you can remember those moments. And like, there's just like, even the great touchdown from DK Metcalf from this last game, it just all seems to be a bit of a blur. Like there's just yeah. no, there's nothing memorable happening mm-hmm. other than this is the year that Russell Wilson finally missed the game.
0: Yeah, the most memorable thing about DK things is comments saying he's basically said that he's waited two and a half years for that to be trusted with that kind of throw,
2: that kind <laughs> of catch, what a, and what a quote that was. Yeah, didn't, I mean, didn't get put to Pete Carroll though, but it's no. nice to hear Pete Carroll's view on what that was all about. Well, yeah. let's
1: be honest, Gino was probably trying to lead him three yards downfield, but missed it by three <laughs> yards. <laughs> Great, oh, <laughs>
2: great great throw gino
1: <laughs> yeah yeah definitely mate. definitely, definitely. Um, but no, i mean what, what you were saying there i mean we are hugely fortunate that albeit a small number but there are people that pay to listen to this podcast and i genuinely feel we'd be doing them a disservice if we didn't come honestly to each episode and talk about what we actually feel and If the Seahawks get to the Super Bowl again, I swear on the ears of everyone that every patron we have will have a bottle of champagne delivered from me and that hopefully at the end of the Super Bowl, we can open it together and celebrate and enjoy it. I swear to God, I will do that. But if they're... That's fine. You can do that because nothing would give me more pleasure than to do that. But there are people that like commit to listening to what we do, which is bewildering, yeah. But like, if they're going to do that, then I feel like we have we owe them to, we owe them honesty and you know to to be you know clear and and vulnerable in the commas, with our views because if not, like, what are we doing?
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I, I have I have to, I I think I realise it saying that I've completely checked out of this season. I think and I'm spending a lot of money to go to one of the games, but I'm, as you, I think we said before, Adam, it's more on the social side of it at this point, seeing people we want to see. It's it's strange. I think I have completely checked out of this season, especially with the last three weeks, because Sunday was fucking awful.
2: It was, <laughs> and you're right. It's the social side of things. If there's there's still a chance that I might go to Seattle uh, this year, I'm I'm sort of debating it and I'm wondering whether to do. It. And if it if it would be, it would be to go and see people potentially take my son for the first time and he'd be really excited about going on a plane not about the Seahawks be excited about going on <laughs> a plane and seeing the Space Needle and sort of having the trip with him and the game would be like you know the probably like fourth or fifth on the list whereas when I've gone in the past it was I can remember going because he used to live in Vancouver I went with my brother to Vancouver in 2014 and we, we took the shuttle to Seattle and watched them lose to Dallas and then came back. And I can remember it just ruined the rest of the, the week that we were in Vancouver, because I was just like in no mood at all to do anything after the, watching that loss. It was it was just, the, the game was the centre point of the entire trip. And now if they won or lost the game that I'd gone to, I'd be like, oh, well, that was all right. Well, let's go and uh, let's go and find that sports bar. or <laughs> Well, what we used to go to, has been
0: shut down by the Mariners. Yeah. Um... Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah. It's just,
0: it's, uh, I am quite glad for not. It's been cathartic. It's been yeah. cathartic. Uh, Show a quick spin in the bin? Let's do it. I mean, there's yeah, it to be just, a big bin. I mean, the obvious ones are the obvious ones. Um, Adam, do you want
1: to? Yeah. Start? I mean, obviously Aaron Rodgers, I'm sure we'll talk about in some capacity, but I think funnily enough, I'm actually going to put the fans at Lumen Field in the bin from Sunday. Because, you know, people talk about American fans being great and loyal supporters and, and very witty and funny. But if you're not singing to the Jacksonville fans, how shit must you be? Travis Homer just scored. <laughs> I mean, what, what, what's going on? I mean, that, that was just the, surely the perfect opportune moment for a, for a good old how shit must you be chant. So for that, I mean, the Lumenfield fans can get maybe we'll get one in our game against the 49ers that we can start a 67,000 yeah. chant of <clears throat> how shit must you be? Penny Hart just jet sweep for 76 yards to score or something along those lines.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'll be going to a sounds game, they're probably gonna sing it in like four minutes before it happens, just to like be completely <laughs> console scripted. But uh yeah, yeah. Um I, I, I it's it's easy, but I think I'll say to you a few times, I think we said this podcast a few times, Jamie Redknapp talking about the Saudi Arabia ownership thing issue. Oh, I've
1: not heard this. What did he quite, say? No, no, no. It, it, it's it was well, his, his it, view was it, that it, fans don't care who own their yeah. team, so whatever. But
0: but it, it wasn't what he said. It was more the fact that Jamie Redknapp is on TV giving his opinion on Saudi Arabia human rights, and it's like uh, this is this is, it, it's the,
2: it does it does work for the company that announced before their their yeah. first game that that they've won the ownership lottery.
0: Yeah, yeah. But then you, it, it, I thought that would be like the one time we saw someone not qualified to talk about things above his station. And then Ian Rappaport went on Pat McAfee's show after Aaron Rodgers' COVID stuff was broken yesterday. And, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. The, the, he didn't know who they were playing next week, Seahawks. He didn't know anything. And it, it was the clearest sign of water carrying from a clearly pissed off Pat McAfee for obviously other reasons. Um it was an absolute train wreck of an interview. And, like, he should, it's not his fault because he should not be, I mean, it's his job, but he shouldn't be in a position trying to explain away what the Green Bay Packers, the quarterback, and the coach are yet, I don't know if they have in the last hour to explain. Yeah. It's my point. Can, can so, I just, I'm putting him in the bin, but I kind of feel like the same point a bit sorry do- for
2: him. Can I just ask though, since you brought up Newcastle, do they do they know the way to Rotherham? And will they go to Rotterdam by mistake? Because <laughs> it wouldn't it be hilarious if Newcastle got relegated? And I looked at the lead table earlier and there's like a distinct sorry if there's any Newcastle fans listening, uh, but it, it would be quite amazing. Be quite I think yeah. for any non geordies It's, that, it's that poss-
0: possibly the best thing Spurs have done is win that game on that Sunday. Hundred percent. I think. I think I ninety-five mean, percent of the country. No, ninety of the ninety-two football clubs were supporting Spurs that day. I think.
1: I mean, Eric Dyer still managed to head one onto his knee for an <laughs> own goal. Um, I didn't but, see that. Is that actually happened? Yes. I didn't see the game. <laughs> Eighteen yards out, headed it onto his own knee for an oh. own goal.
2: You should, tell um, you, if, only, if only you could have seen the look I gave my wife when Eric Dyer stepped up to take that penalty against Colombia. It was like, why is he doing it? You know, it's like, no, man. I'm surprised they went in. Go on,
1: you The the Rappaport thing's interesting because for some reason, we've all just bought into this idea that journalists paid by the NFL are reporting on anything honestly. And I don't know, but in the last six months, you know, with some of the COVID stuff and some of the more serious allegations against players, coaches, the Gruden stuff or whatever, it's all just a massive crafter operation really isn't it and I don't know why it's taken me so long to realize it but the weirdest one is that even sort of like Schefter is Look, the same that, but he works for ESPN it doesn't make and, any sense
0: and Schefter, Schefter tweeting the Devonta Smith Henry Rooks photo yeah uh, on Instagram and retweeting it because it was a reply to him it was like what are you like nothing like this is a caption what does that mean the dude's just travelled drunkenly at 150, allegedly 156 miles an hour. Oh. Kill some And you're posting Henry Ruggs' Alabama touchdown celebration. Very oh. odd.
2: Wow. Um, so this I, is a
0: really positive podcast.
2: I, I, I didn't think of any... I forgot that you do this, even okay. though I do listen often. So I, but I, the, the two things that have annoyed me the most over the last couple of weeks are the people who wrote Squid Game. Uh, because I don't know if you've seen it. <laughs> no. Uh, it it kind of it, it lures you in, and then has this really ridiculous last three episodes, which I found really irritating, and I spent a whole night complaining about that to my wife, who agreed mm. with me for once. And then the other <laughs> one is Gary Neville. It's like every time Gary Neville's... I quite liked... I used to like Gary Neville, and I liked the, the, sort of the 10 questions things he does with people like Tyson Fury and Roy Keane and people like that. But every time he speaks now, I feel like I'm being lectured to, <laughs> and whether it's about politics or Manchester United, and I just want to say, I'll give it a rest, Gary. Yeah,
0: it was how, it was how he compared Boris to Oleg and Solskjaer's job. Securely. I know it's
2: like, look, just either become an MP or be quiet. Like, just <laughs> just stop it, Gary. You're not you're not the king of the north. Stop it.
0: Who who the man who fired Graham Alexander after about seven
2: games last season as well? Yeah, and uh, and you know that. Did him well, didn't
1: it?
0: And... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, anything positive to talk about? I don't.
1: Well, I mean, this is the pedestrian podcast. You so yeah. absolutely. Yeah, no, no. I just wanted to. Where, where, where have you been for the last six years?
0: Yeah. Uh, any draft people? You said it's was the worst yeah, draft that, class.
1: That must be something positive, Rob. Is, is, do you want, do you want is, some draft?
2: Do you
0: want some is, quick draft? Uh, is uh, Reggie Robertson still good for SMU? I haven't watched much College Football this year. Uh,
2: well, you know, I, I, it is, you know I, I hate to go down the negative theme again. It is one of the worst-looking draft classes uh, <laughs> I've ever seen. But the good news is the Seahawks don't have their first-round pick, so it's not going to really matter. I mean, I think in previous years, I think the silks currently have the 10th pick, don't they? Yeah. Um, uh, if, if you were yeah. looking at that, you know, you, you'd be really, really frustrated if that, if that was going to end up being a really good player. And I've only at the moment got nine players lift, listed who are, not even for the top 10. I'm talking about for the, you know, I've given a day one sort of mark to. That's nine. So I, I'm not that concerned. I was not as concerned as otherwise would have been. So that is the, so the positive. And there's a huge list of players that I've listed in, in day two. And you know there are some exciting players that that could be available after after day one. Um, you know there's there's some some decent looking defensive linemen. You've got a few. There are one or two cornerbacks who are interested. Roger McCreary, Auburn. The two guys at Washington are interesting. Um, there are some decent offensive linemen in this draft. Um, a good collection of running backs. I mean, I've just got a whole bunch of names on my database the database thing that I'm looking at now, and. You know, there, there are really good sort of day two, day three options in this draft, which is obviously where the silks going to be picking. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think the, there are some positives there. I and mean, some of my favourite players, if, if people want sort of people to go on and have a look at, is uh, there is a tight end who plays for um, San Jose State called Derek Deese Jr. His dad played in the NFL. He is really, really good. Not a lot of people are talking about him. Not sure if he's going to blow up the combine, but it's just a machine in the passing game, well-sized, Derek Deese Jr. Go and have a look at him. Um, in terms of offensive linemen, you, you've got people like uh, Trevor Penning at Northern Iowa. It will be amazing if he lasts into, into sort of any kind of range where the are Jordan Davis at Georgia, been on a, on a lot. You've got people like Jermaine Johnson who, who've like flown up the radar as a pass rusher at Florida State. Um, Rashid Walker at Penn State, good tackle. Kenneth Walker's doing really well at running back. I mean, I'm just reading off names here and it probably won't mean a lot to, to a lot of people. But you know, I, I hope that kind of illustrates that although it might not be the best first round ever, when the Seahawks actually come onto the board, there might be some good options there. And I think what we're going to see is because there are so many question marks about the first round, the people who test the best of the combine are probably going to get bumped up into that first round. So I think this is probably going to be a... Combine-inspired first round in 2022. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. There might be some really good players available in round two. So a decent chance to keep up there. Not so bad run recently of decent second round
1: picks. Well, as long as there's plenty of linebackers and safeties, then I'm sure we'll be able to be absolutely fine in the There
2: draft. are some of those! <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> two, two positions that we've really neglected resource-wise over the last few years. So let's hope we can really you know, address that balance.
2: Yeah. No quarterbacks though. That's the part. The quarterbacks are massively overrated in this draft.
1: I
0: mean, Spence, Spencer Rattler's done the opposite, Joe Burrow, isn't he?
2: Yes, he has. That's a good way of putting it. Actually, he has done the opposite, Joe Burrow. But then you've, you know, the the players who like, you know, Carson Strong gets a lot of love from Nevada on Twitter. I've got him down in day three. Uh, Matt Corral at Ole Miss. I've got him down in day three. Desmond Ridder, I think, is probably more of a round four than you know, round one. You. Malik Willis, I think, is a day three quarterback. His techniques all over the place. Great athlete, but I don't want him to, to come and lead the offense.
0: I saw also why they call him a quicker Jalen Hurts.
2: Yeah, probably not as good as that. And then you've got people like Kaya Elam, the quarterback at Florida. Everyone's saying he's a top 15 pick. I've got him in day three. Um,
0: <laughs> so, so who are your nine then? I'm guessing D-Wadeau's one. Should I say that again? Who's your nine? Who's your nine? Uh, it- Aiden, H-
2: Aiden, Kayvon Thibodeau is one of them, yeah. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson, obviously, at Michigan. Uh, Derek Stingley, another, another obvious one, quarterback at LSU. Kyle Hamilton, the safety at Notre Dame. Jordan Davis, the defensive tackle at Georgia. Trevor Penning, the tackle at Northern Iowa. Uh, George Carl Aftis, the defensive end at Purdue, although I want to see him test. Jalen w- w- at the tight end at Texas A&M. And Jalen Catalan, the safety at Arkansas.
0: So we really fun when all of them somehow end up at the Niners, Cardinals, and Rams somehow.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, Rob, for, for non-sort of draftniks like myself, yes, every year we get articles now in November saying, "Hey, there, there may not be a single quarterback that goes in the first round in, in the draft." And then every draft, there are five quarterbacks minimum that go in the first round as, as teams reach for their for their you know, desperation. If you had to say. Yeah, these three guys will will do a Zach Wilson, yeah, will will, will do a Matt Jones and, and elevate themselves from wherever they may have been drafted to to where they will be drafted. I mean, is, there, is it even that bad that you can't see you can't see like, you know, a PR push to push a few into the first round at this stage?
2: Uh, Look, there's always that. No one expected EJ Manuel to go in the middle of the first round, and he did to Buffalo. You know, there's always quarterbacks like that who could potentially get there. You know, Christian Ponder had no right going in the top 15, but he did. So you have these players who will get elevated. And when you look at this draft, it is not beyond the realms of possibility that Kenny Pickett at Pittsburgh could get elevated. He's had a terrific final year. He's been at Pittsburgh for five years. He was a senior last year, but they gave everybody an extra year of eligibility because of COVID. And he's come back for another year. So he's been there a year longer than he otherwise would have been. And he's, he's he's had a decent year. And there are things to like. He's a good athlete. He's a better athlete than people realize. He can maneuver in the pocket very well, very agile, throws fairly decently on the run, throws a nice pass, pretty pass, you know, decent arm, not amazing, but decent, well-sized, can make plays when he scrambles. You know, I think there are some issues. Um, I think it's technically, technically he's fine. You, you just, you like him, you just don't love him. So if somebody convinces themselves that they love him, then he could go in the first round. Well, then you look at the rest of them and you just think, where are the, you know, I can't even begin to build a case for Carson Strong in the first round because he's just bang average. And Willis' technical issues, he's a mile off. And Sam Howell, just looks like a third rounder at North Carolina. So I think that the, I mean, like a year ago, Trevor Lawrence was always going to go in the first round. Zach Wilson, very early in the college season, looked like a first rounder. I, you know, you only had to watch him play once at be if you thought, yeah, he's got it. Um, you know, Justin Fields was always talked about as a first round pick. Uh, I'm trying to think of the other guys who went in the first round. Max, uh, you know, Matt Wilson emerged. And, and there was debate about physicality. Is he good enough to go in the first round? But ultimately, he had a great year, didn't he? And loads of touchdowns. And, and, and Trey Lance, of
1: course. And Trey Lance great was enigma. talked about.
2: So, so there, was, there were players that were expected to go in the first round, and they did. And then you sort of built on that. Whereas this year, right from the offset, I've been saying, I don't see the first-round quarterbacks. And nobody's really emerged. And Kenny Pickett, for me, could be the first off the board but in round two. So I think this is going to be like the Geno Smith draft where I think he was the first off the board at the start of round two. Yeah. Uh,
0: and also, the thing with Matt Corral is he looked good until he faced Saban, didn't he? And they, did he shut
2: out? Uh, well, you know, I don't think he necessarily played that badly in that game. That was the game where they went for it on fourth down every single time there was a fourth down. So they went for it on fourth down if they're on their own eight-yard line. <laughs> And, and the game went, and he decided that the only way they were going to win was by stealing possessions. So they would go for it on fourth down every time, and they ended up getting into a massive hole. And then there's a bit of a late rally, but the game had already gone. I think it's, it's more like the last game. I think they've just lost to, uh, is it Texas? Is it Mississippi State they lost to? No, they are not, they're not playing Mississippi State yet, because that's the, uh, the big with the egg bowl, isn't it? So they've, the, the, whoever they lost to at the week Auburn, that was it. Auburn, is, is a, is, it was an ugly performance and he doesn't have the physicality he's he's playing in an offense with kiffin that is wide open very easy for quarterbacks to play quarterbacks have a lot of success in kiffin's system and his scheme i don't think he's physically anything to write home about so at the next level not a not much of a prospect for me but people are scrambling aren't they you know all the people who write about the draft are desperate for big name quarterbacks to talk about so if you look at every mock draft at the moment it's you know hardly any of the prospects that I see in the top 20 in most mock drafts, I'd have in the top 20. And yeah. that's just that's my opinion compared to theirs, but I think people are scrambling for options because right now it's hard to find first-round picks in this in this uh, college football season.
0: Yeah, I mean, Kyle Pitts being legit has probably saved or given the Falcons' regime a couple of years. We've got a really, minute because they're not replacing Matt Ryan last year then, but this year they're probably going to be up in the top 10 again and not having a quarterback there, of quality to pick when they could have had... They're such a boring franchise, on. though, aren't they? Pitts is ridiculous,
2: though. They are, but they're a yeah, boring. Like, it's hard to get excited about it. I was, like, watching the bit of the Red Zone in the weekend and thinking, what have the Falcons actually got that makes you, if you're an Atlanta Falcons fan, feel excited about the future or the present? There's nothing. And, you know, I was never a fan of Justin Fields. Like, I didn't think Justin Fields was anywhere near as good as the draft media were making out. And I think, based on what we've seen so far... I think people are desperate for him to be better than he is. I don't think he's that good. I think he's erratic. I think he gets sacked too many times. His release is so slow. It means that he there's always a chance of fumbles. He turns the ball over so much. This is all anticipated by the, by the way that he played at Ohio State. Um, so I don't, I, I, don't, I don't blame the Falcons for doing what they did, but where were they going?
0: Yeah, I think that's the fan base as well. I mean, Atlanta just got the... Um, World Series, and now everyone's talking about Aaron Rodgers and um, other NFL news. It's just mad how the NFL is constantly number one in the sports news cycle over there, it seems. Um, one more thing quickly before we go to bed and wrap up. Darren Moore seems like a fun, nice bloke to get to cover as part of your job.
2: Uh, you, you Do you know Darren or something? No, no, but, no. no. Oh, he
0: just, I, I know Baggage fans who absolutely adore him.
2: Yeah, great guy. Yeah, really nice guy. Not having the, not I. I mean, they won against Sunderland in the week, so that's always good. There was there was building there was building pressure on him though. Mm-hmm. It hasn't it hasn't gone according to plan this season, let's say. Uh, but really nice guy. I had the opportunity to to host a you know an after dinner with him before the season started.
0: <clears throat>
2: really genuine, great bloke. And fingers crossed for him that he, it's going to come good at Sheffield Wednesday.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah uh, yeah. appreciate your time as always Rob where can people catch your stuff your writings your draft stuff and your uh, uh, outlook on the Seahawks on socials
2: well if 90 minutes of moaning about the Seahawks and the lack of quality <laughs> in the draft wasn't enough uh, seahawksdraftblog.com and um, I on YouTube Rob Staten on there and uh, that's where I put my stuff yeah uh,
0: yeah that's everything Adam yeah
1: so we've, we've said it all
0: yeah uh patreon.com forward slash the pedestrian podcast if you want to support um uh this pod pod spotify itunes to search for the pedestrian podcast for 168 episodes in uh you've free, really free bottle free of, of champagne free bottle of champagne for patreon for listen, listen about gets the Super seven ball. years time so buy it now it would be the age quite well as well wouldn't it, it. yeah exactly um, it's yeah. an
1: investment investment for the future guys yeah it's like an
0: nft uh uh <laughs> Yeah, if you want to get involved in the podcast or use your me message, you can. Appreciate your time. Enjoy the bye week, everyone. Until next time, this has been the Pedestrian Podcast.
1: Go Hawks.